This is a Federal News Network podcast. It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. Today is Friday, October 9th, 2020. I'm Jason Breifel from Shohobu Today, we'll be discussing the intersection between talent management and mobility, particularly how the pandemic has altered the way that organizations are thinking about their people, where they're working, and how they're getting the job done. Really excited to have three guests covering global workforces in in government and in industry uh, today. Uh, First, I'd like to introduce from the Department of Homeland Security, Bethilda Taylor. Chloe is the Executive Director of Strategic Learning, Development, and Engagement, uh, and the Chief Learning and Engagement Officer within the Office of the Chief Human Capital Officer at DHS. Welcome, Chloe, and thank you for being on FedTalk today. Happy to be here, Jason. Thank you so much. Also joining our program is Nancy Brickwood, Senior Vice President for Global Human Resources at BGRS. Thank you for joining us, Nancy. Thank you, Jason, for having me on the show. Finally, we have Gadir Hassan, Head of Global Mobility at Lockheed Martin Corporation. Welcome to Fed Talk, Gadir. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having me. It's a pleasure uh, to join this esteemed group. Um, really happy to have you all here today. And in, in the first portion of the show, we'll, we'll hear about uh, from each of your organizations, DHS, BGRS, and Lockheed Martin, how the pandemic has shifted the focus and practices around talent management. In our second segment, we're going to dive into what it takes to pursue and hire talent in this changing world, and then we'll dive into what it takes to develop and deploy that talent, how you're keeping them engaged and considering the employee experience. Lastly, looking into the future, what's what's never uh, coming back? What's changing? We're going to cover that all today in Fed Talk. Before we dive in, I want to remind everyone that Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program. Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program is sponsored by the U.S. Office of Personnel Management, insured by John Hancock Life and Health Insurance Company, under a group long-term care insurance policy, administered by long-term care partners. To learn more, visit them at ltcfeds.com today. Well, again, really excited about our conversation today. And uh, first, uh, again, I want to bring our listeners and each of you into this conversation and to give our uh, listeners an opportunity to, to understand a little bit more uh, about what each of you uh, do within your organizations, what your scope of, of responsibility looks like. And, um, and Chloe, uh, why don't we start with you at, at DHS in, in your role uh, as the Chief Learning and Engagement Officer? Hi, thank you, Jason. I'm happy again to be here. So thank you so much. I am the Chief Learning and Engagement Officer for over 240,000 employees. And I got to tell you, some days that scares the living daylights out of me. (laughs) But I'm happy to be a part of uh, Department of Homeland Security. I work across the department with the components to assess their learning and development needs and resources and their investments. I also oversee the department's learning and development strategies that aligns um, to the department initiatives. Um, and finally, I support uh, components and DHS-wide programs uh, throughout the department. And also, we partner uh, with other agencies and ac- through academic and other federal um, partners as well. So again, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, it's great times regardless, and I'm happy to have the opportunity. Thanks. Thank you so much, Chloe. Um, really appreciate that. Gadir, um, Head of Global Mobility at Lockheed Martin Corporation. Um, what does that mean? What, what are you looking at? So as the Head of Global Mobility at Lockheed Martin, I'm responsible for the oversight of our global mobility services and program. So for those unfamiliar with the term global mobility within a corporation or business, 
when employees are offered a role and move abroad, usually for a set period of time, ranging on average of one to three years, that's referred to as an assignment. And abroad makes it an international assignment. So what I do, along with a dedicated team of specialists, is we actually analyze the movement and define the requirements for movement of our employees when they are moving um, abroad or away from their home uh, location or country as part of their work and contributions to Lockheed Martin. Thanks so much, Kadir, for that overview. And, and uh, Nancy Brickwood um, with BGRS um, and the uh, vice Senior Vice President for Global Human Resources. What are you focused on at BGRS? So thanks, Jason. Um, my role at BGRS, I am leader of the human capital function, which is focused on people and culture to enable you know, incredible performance from 1,400 employees across the globe. We are based on six continents. We have 12 uh, centers. And BGRS is a talent mobility company. So we partner with corporate and government clients to help them develop their talent through relocation programs. So essentially, we're an extension of their talent development uh, departments. Thanks so much, Nancy. And, and I think it's, uh, I'm really excited to have each of you today because of the distinct lenses that you each bring, but also some of those um, common areas. And I wanted to bring us into this conversation uh, today. You know, obviously with 2020, the pandemic, everything, uh, kind of what have those initial shocks felt like within your organizations? Um, how has the pandemic shifted uh, these practices, these protocols that, that you've been uh, refining for some time? So prior to the pandemic, BGRS was already deeply involved in a new talent strategy to enable success in our new multi-year customer experience-led business transformation. So we are building and growing digitally-enabled ecosystems to optimize that end-to-end -end mobility journey for an employee who's going through a, a relocation. What the pandemic did was significantly amplify this work, plus add more to it. So back in March, after our global workforce migrated to working from home, I knew I needed to pivot the talent strategy quite quickly to focus on four imperatives. Um, the first one was that you know, duty of care. And we've all, you know, heard quite a lot about it during the last few months, but, you know, prioritizing wellness and the wellness program, enhancing it to so, so that it was truly holistic. Um, we needed to ensure that that offering spoke to every one of our employees. And before the pandemic, you know, around the world, people were struggling with stress, depression, loneliness. So a global pandemic we knew would just worsen that problem. We also began an in-depth review of our policies, our work practices, and our organizational structure. So for example, we're looking right now at our flex work policy. So that was in place you know, for several years, and now that's been turned upside down with remote working. You know, We're looking now on how to move work design from being focused on efficiency to being equal parts with agility, so that we're really able to continue to innovate and change. The third imperative for us was all about training our people managers. And I'm sure many other companies and HR practitioners did this as well. You know, overnight, people managers had to lead virtually. So we trained them on how to build team cohesiveness without the benefit of that informal touch point um, with people in the office, how to coach, how to mentor, how to interview, you know, how to give performance feedback virtually, and even how to onboard new hires and then offboard those leaving the organization. And the probably the fourth and final imperative that we really had to, to strengthen was embedding adaptability and accountability in the culture. So we saw quite a lot of display of adaptability when we mobilized to 100% workforce from remote back in March, but we needed to ingrain and embed that adaptability and flexibility into the culture. So we needed to encourage leaders to pivot from sort of that very steadfast day-to-day -day mindset to much more flexibility in their outlook. We created an accountability framework, we, which we've been rolling out the last four months. And it's been quite interesting because this really crystallizes for leaders at all levels, that turning point, you know, what's expected at each level 
and how do you empower people to make decisions? So that's been a new piece of work that hopefully will really help with adaptability, accountability, and flexibility. Thank you so much, Nancy. I think that there's so much goodness to unpack in those those four areas. And I want to have Chloe and Gadir uh, respond and talk about uh, some of those themes and trends after our first break and a word from our sponsor. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We're here with Chloe Taylor, Nancy Brickwood, and Gadir Hassan. Before the break, uh, Nancy laid out for us some really interesting concepts about how she and the team at BGRS have been uh, approaching this. And, and I, I thought that several really uh, stood out that got at a holistic notion around the employee experience. Uh, how are uh, human capital organizations serving those employees so they can focus on the work of serving their organizations? And um, uh, in your role at, at DHS, I, I think this is right up your lane, Chloe. So I was, I'm curious about what, what you and the team at DHS have been doing on this front and what you could tell us about here. Absolutely. Well, just the nature of our name really kind of speaks for itself. We are Department Homeland Security, so we're really paying close attention uh, to the evolving um, COVID-19 situation in order to make sure that we're protecting our nation, our workforce, and our families. Um, the department works very closely um, with the other federal agencies and public health officials uh, to make sure that we're implementing um, the best um, rules and, and, and appropriate workforce uh, health and safety measures, measures for the DHS workforce. But let me just kind of dabble over into a bit of what uh, it's done for from our training um, and development as well. Uh, DHS already understood the value of enabling talent development strategies that are aligned to with our uh, dynamic workforce and mission uh, realities. So while we have had to move very quickly into a new posture on some fronts, I am incredibly proud of the nearly seamless transition that our department has made into taking the efforts that were already underway further. Um, much of our, like other aspects of aspects of talent management, learning and development has also had to adapt. Training that were once conducted in person have had to migrate to more of a virtual platform. And um, we're telling most of our, uh, we're telling our workforce that learning can occur through so many experiences and for um, so many sources. So it doesn't necessarily involve prolonged in-person contact. And again, because we are a predominantly um, law enforcement agency, um, we have uh, pivoted um, in many different ways in most of our components um, because we're not in environments always where we, everyone can just necessarily telework because we're still on the front lines, we're still on the borders, so there are still times and opportunities where we have to make sure that we're bringing the training and the learning opportunities to our workforce that still has to be on the front lines. And, and that way we're making things a lot more easier and more convenient for them as well. Um, but this is something that we're working very well right at this point. Uh, we really, um, we've really made a really good um, transition for our, our workforce at large. And uh, we're very proud of this opportunity to speak with you all. Well, it's, it's so great to, to hear about the, the positive pivot that the team has made. And, and as you point out, Chloe, some many folks who work in, in DHS, as, as is the case with other agencies, um, uh, they had to show up, they had to go to their duty post, and others were able to, um, to work remotely. And so the, the different approaches that were required to serve those folks then also think about the uh, the hiring and the talent acquisition piece. How do you how do you onboard um, virtually? How do you uh, hire and pursue talent virtually? I think have also been uh, areas where we've seen big strides 
in the government and industry acting differently. Um, I'm curious about anything you might have to add there on the talent acquisition and hiring piece from DHS. And then I, I want to hear from uh, our other guests as well on this one. We have done very well in transitioning our hiring. And this is more centered around uh, onboarding our, our, any of our new employees. We have went to a total virtual, it's normally a three-day process. And we've taken um, the first two days to in a virtual environment, uh, which uh, provides folks an opportunity to just stay wherever they are from their home locations or wherever they're, you know, happen to be teleworking. And we go through the two days and then they have to come in on that third day um, just to pick up their equipment and their, um, their other credentials. So we've done really well with that. And I will tell you, we have not missed the beat. And matter of fact, we had actually, we have picked up the pace in our hiring and um, folks actually still do want to work for Department of Homeland Security. So we're super, super excited about that. Uh, we've taken um, things and, and put them more of a virtual platform. We, we now have an HR Academy Roadshow where we are now offering through uh, many different platforms, the online platforms where we're going and taking our roadshow to the components and that way and to the other agencies and we're, sh we're giving them information about and inviting them uh, to be a part of DHS through those platforms as well, giving them um, an update on what's happening and our job announcements and things that's happening in DHS. And I will tell you that we have had a very good amount of turnout for folks who wanna be a part of our HR Academy and our road shows. So it's also been a very good tool set that we've been able to use. And it's all 100% virtual. So it gives folks, um, you can log in anywhere from any location and you can still be a part of that. That's so awesome, Chloe. Really uh, happy to hear that, that folks are, are still interested in, in raising their hand to serve and, and join the team at DHS, but also this, your efforts to, to, to take these practices around and, and uh, work with the components uh, to lean into the opportunities and the technology we're forced to, to work with right now um, are, are bearing some fruit. And uh, Nancy, I wanted to kind of follow up with this because I, I, I know in our, our pre-chat that you said the BGRS and, and those that you're working with are already are also um, doing a lot here with uh, virtual recruiting, onboarding, et cetera. Um, uh, can you tell us some more about what, what you're doing and seeing? Sure. So we've also been um, recruiting ever since the pandemic started. Um, we continued for all of our business critical roles and the hiring managers and the HR team globally did a really wonderful job of essentially flexing overnight to do virtual interviews. Um, we were midstream quite a, through, quite a few searches in March. So the team just picked it up and was able to navigate quite well. You know, subsequently, we've done training with all of our leaders and people managers about virtual interviewing, how to conduct panel interviews virtually, um, coordinating between different people around the world and time zones and candidates. So it's been working quite well. And then as we've been hiring, you know, we've had tremendous support from our IT and our facilities teams to create like on the spot um, new onboarding processes and arranging to get laptops configured and out to people's homes. And again, every country has different challenges and, um, you know, they've been able to do it. I think, you know, from a TA perspective, you know, there's definitely some trends that we need to watch for um, going forward. And I think thinking about sort of the battle for talent, and it's going to definitely continue, um, you know, certainly some industries have been laying off people, but other industries have had a spike in hiring. You know, we're all dealing with very depleted talent pools. So, you know, I think HR professionals really need to keep attention on candidates' transferable skills and not get too focused on industry experience all the time, um, really focus on their employment brand and the experience. So, you know, what's the different work and career experiences that are available in your particular agency or in your particular corporation and be really clear about the skills that you need. And then I also think we need to be looking at experiences and the Generation Z, you know, they're the youngest contingent. They're between 18 and 24. 
I know at BGRS, we certainly have a strong contingent of Generation Z in our workforce. And, you know, they might not have that long resume in the traditional sense, but they've grown up in a, you know, a high tech, you know, hyper connected world. So they've got that experience and skill that would be quite helpful, I think, for a lot of companies to include and bring those talent in, into their workforce. So lots of challenges with TA, but you know certainly I think people really again flexed and were adaptable and were able to to you know change uh, with the pandemic. Thanks so much, Nancy. And something that's really interesting to me is you mentioned the the focus and the growth around those transferable elements, the the experiences, the skills, the competencies. Uh, you know, uh, the president had an executive order, and there's been uh, guidance that's come out. Uh, this year, and then we expect more to come. That's encouraging agencies to you know, think past the resume and to focus more on those skills, those competencies, and experiences. And Clo, I'm, I'm hoping you might be able to to talk some about how how DHS um, was and and now is uh, even more so with with this latest guidance. You know, turning your attention in those that direction through joint marketing efforts um, in the department. We've continued uh, to go beyond just what's on the resume. We're looking at folks who have now transferable skill sets that are necessarily, uh, they are more interested in now transferring their skill set and to do something differently. So I don't think we can think like a business as usual as we have in the past, because what we're finding that folks want to, they want to jump and they want to move around. They want to have more flexibility in their careers. And we've done a really good job uh, with supporting that and also hiring a lot of those those types of, of, of employees. So we're really proud to say that. We're also, one of the other things I wanted to speak on is that we've hosted our first ever military spouse webinar. And that has given us a great turnout. We've had um, over a thousand uh, registered folks to join in on that, to learn more about what we do at DHS and how we can now support those folks and bring them possibly back into the federal government space. Thanks, Chloe. I, I'm really appreciative of that particular effort uh, with, with the military spouses. And I think the point that you made right before that about your workforce's desire to, uh, to be adaptable, to take on new skills, um, leads us perfectly into the next segment of our conversation that we'll uh, get into, looking at how we're developing and deploying that talent after a word from our sponsors. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. One team working all three branches. Judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. SB&R employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers. Legislative. Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients. Executive. Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed Manager and Fed Agent. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government. Online at shawbransford.com. SB&R. Client-focused. Results-driven. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We're entering the second half of our show. We're discussing developing and deploying talent. And uh, this notion of, of leadership development, uh, specifically as an element within, within broader talent management and talent development, uh, seems to be uh, an area of recognition for growing importance. Um, and Nancy wanted to, to bring you in on uh, kind of the nexus between these areas. You know, what's what's the big picture for how organizations are are managing all of their talent? But, but what are you seeing on on the focus on on the leader the, the leader development side? Sure. Um, you know, I think the crisis has shown all of us that um, we need to accelerate the development of leaders at all levels. You know, no one has ever led through something like this quite before. Like it's quite unbelievable. 
So it starts, you know, when I think about the, the talent management strategy, everything starts with the leadership. So it requires a redefinition of leadership models. And these models should be in, in place for the entire workforce, you know, from individual contributors right up to executive levels, as everyone is a leader, whether they're leading themselves or whether they're leading others. And the models need to capture the behaviors and competencies that are really needed now for the uncharted waters ahead. You know, the, the pandemic is certainly teaching us that there are certain leadership traits that are just absolutely critical and others that even, you know, nine months ago we thought were important have now fallen away. I also think it's, it's quite important that HR functions and leadership teams take out their succession plans and look at those succession plans and engage with senior teams to recalibrate the talent. You know, as we start to pivot, you know, which leaders were high performers pre-pandemic and have been seen to struggle in the last few months? Conversely, you know, what leader names haven't appeared at all um, in, in succession plans? And now through the crisis, their names are appearing. You know, how do they now fit into that succession plan? And then broadly looking at all leaders across all levels, you know, there have been some that have probably just really stood up. They were able to lead remotely, lead through ambiguous times, connecting with their teams through like high volatility and really demonstrating all of those sort of skills like leadership presence and compassion and vision and communication. You know, who are all those employees and how do you start to accelerate their development and plug them into whatever succession plans that you have? for the future. Um, it's definitely, uh, Jason, leadership development has to be at the top of everyone's agenda, you know, how we develop and how we identify the leaders that will take us out of this pandemic and into the new future. Thanks, Nancy. That's, um, that was really great. And, and the critical leadership traits that, that you highlighted um, are those that I'm also seeing everywhere, kind of these, these human skills. Um, that, that have been discounted perhaps or, or termed as soft skills in the past. Uh, as you said, we've really seen how essential they are uh, for our leaders, but also um, for everyone within our organizations um, to have. And I know, Chloe, a few years ago, DHS had a huge uh, effort around the year of leadership. And, and I think that that theme and that focus has, has continued um, on since that time um, from, from everything that I'm aware of. Can you tell us some more about and, and maybe build on some of the things that Nancy said on how DHS is focusing on leader development? Absolutely, Jason. Um, I, I'm going to sort of, I'll, I'll lay out a couple of things that we're doing there in the very middle um, and, and of what the things that we're doing to grow our leader. A few years back, we took a really hard look at the realities of our first-line supervisors and retirement projections in conjunction with expectation of hiring surges against the uh, emerging uh, from our FEVs, which I'm sure that that's our federal employee viewpoint survey. Uh, clearly, not only would we need more first-line supervisors, but we needed them to be better prepared for supervising under a wide variety of conditions from the very first day. So we need to um, we needed to ensure that our next generation of first-line supervisors um, were ready to go and and ready to even make decisions about their future and whether or not they want to become second line supervisors or executives. And to that end, we built a new program um, that I am also very proud of, and so is our Chico, uh, the Supervisor Leadership Bridges Program. And this was born out of the year of the leadership, Jason, so thank you for mentioning that. That was a great year. We had, um, uh, we had a, an amazing turnout I think we really put more focus on leading from where you are. So it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be at a certain grade or a certain age. Um, everyone there, there, everyone has some sort of leadership qualities with, from within. So this supervisor leadership bridges program, we've offered it in two formats. Um, it's self-paced and we have it also in cohort. Uh, the innovative self-paced uh, program offers any uh, DHS employee in, at any level and any location the ability to pursue a development path. And uh, we have a, a, a variety of topics and, and they can do this at their own pace. And this has been um, evolution, uh, especially in this environment under COVID-19, 
to allow folks to still be able to do this sort of learning and growing in a virtual environment. And we've made it all available online, of course. Uh, we've already completed two cohorts this year, and it's truly uh, been a, 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 an amazing program. And the goodness about this program is we are, we've made this program unique for our GS 11 through 13. So we're, we're not necessarily, we're looking at more uh, lower grades and mid grades. Um, so again, we're giving folks an opportunity to make decisions before they get too far down the path and to decide, okay, what do I really want to do? How do I want to grow as a leader? Uh, we have over 50 uh, DHS leaders and uh, subject matter experts who are instructing uh, these employees, and we're super proud of that particular program. One other program I want to quickly uh, mention is our Homeland Security Rotations Program, uh, which is also an opportunity for our younger workforce um, to get to understand and fulfill their critical mission assignments and things that they're learning to understand Department Homeland Security. It develops a broader understanding of the mission of DHS. So no longer are folks sort of, well, I'm not sure, I, you know, it's just a job. No, they, they get to get in, uh, be a part of this program and really get a good sense of what DHS really means and what it, um, and how it, if it's really something that they want to do in it, if it resonates with them. One thing, my last point, Jason, is I will tell you that the employees that work for DHS love the mission. They love the mission. Uh, even though, you know, we're, we have a lot going on here in this agency, but at the end of the day, people really enjoy the mission. And we have given them platforms now where they can continue to grow and learn. Lead where you are, follow the heart, and follow your passion to serve. And these programs seem like way, really great ways to get at longstanding challenges that we've had in the government around uh, leadership. And, and oftentimes, and I you know, know this putting on, I'll put on my hat uh, representing the Senior Executives Association and other groups where historically we've often focused on that executive tier but didn't really think about uh, as thoughtfully as we should, those who are getting there in, in our entire talent pipeline. So it's really great to see uh, DHS exposing uh, employees uh, earlier in their career to these leadership skills uh, to understand how the, how the, the, the big enterprise works together um, so they can see how they fit into and how their organizations um, fit into uh, the, the picture and, and the department and how it's serving the public and keeping us safe. Um, Nancy, I wanted to, to, to bring you back in here, um, uh, maybe to kind of build on this and uh, particularly as in this kind of future leaders uh, selection cultivation, you mentioned some of the pivots and observations that you found in just the past six months, you know, maybe those supervisors who were more adept in in-person versus, versus remotely, uh, how is that kind of fueling how you're um, training folks, uh, counseling, coaching, kind of tailoring the interventions if, if necessary uh, to help those, those leaders and those managers uh, with their workforce? Yeah, that's a great question because we had a, a leadership program we developed about three years ago for different levels in the organization. And we'd been making steady progress with it and having the cohorts kind of run through the program. It was so interesting because for our senior leaders, um, they started to uh, a new program just at the beginning of 2020 on how to lead through ambiguity. So what an incredible experience that, you know, two months into the program and all of a sudden, you know, they were faced with the pandemic. So we, we feel that the program and what we are training is, is on track. I think what we're going to do is look at those leaders that have really blossomed over the last six months and try to involve them in sort of learning from leaders. So bringing their, their experience and their practical application and bring it into the training and having those leaders address um, different groups within the organization and talk about their experience over the last six or seven months and what skills they really were drawing 
to have that superior performance. You know, a lot of it is around emotional intelligence. You know, a lot of it is just being quite flexible and really being able to adapt and have that resiliency. And so we'll bring them in and bring their experiences in. And hopefully that will even be a, you know, a richer curriculum for all of our leaders going forward in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. I really like that notion of uh, it's almost a kind of human centered design uh, ideas, bringing that experience, that storytelling. How can you help others within the organization uh, capitalize, learn from uh, the experiences their peers and their colleagues um, may have had and, and drive that kind of collective culture of, of resilience. Um, because like you said, it's, we're, we're, we're in the times of uncertainty and we're not going back. Chloe, anything to add on this one before we stop for our final break? Uh, yeah, I would absolutely like to add something on this one, Jason. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about something that we're looking at for, for the future, uh, learning without limits. Um, our workforce is, is mobile. That's the bottom line, as Nancy uh, already mentioned, that we're not going back. I don't think we'll ever go back to what we have been in the past. And our learning is and will continue to be as well. We have done a great job uh, with exploring new options in mobile learning apps and improving tools and vehicles for offering and documenting learning. We've created um, a new leader development initiative that will launch in uh, 21 called Learning Without Limits um, to recognize and support our leaders and organizations that offer no time or resources for classroom learning experiences. Uh, this program is uh, designed for executives, which features micro-learning opportunities, uh, such as podcasts, LinkedIn groups, uh, learning, and um, those kinds of things. Uh, the initiative encourages leaders to notice, benefit from, and get credit for learning from a variety of sources beyond the classroom. And um, even when now we're, uh, we're finding that folks are uh, sort of stepping away and they're, they're taking more time to do things, whatever, it may be yoga or maybe more podcasting and um, things that, that maybe have not been a traditional way of learning, but yet we have, we're proving that it's still a part of learning and growing as well. So it's definitely a, an opportunity for us to look at future um, things that we're doing at DHS for for our folks, for our employees. Can't wait to have you or your colleagues back sometime next year to learn more about that initiative, Learning Without Limits, Clo. Um, I think that that's so exciting um, because it's true. We, we need to be uh, continuous learners and, and, and staying adaptive. So it's great to see uh, the department leaning in there. And I think that that is a, a great segue to, to carry us into our last segment, which is really about the future. Uh, we've talked about this a few times today. Uh, we're likely not going back to many, if any, of those old um, procedures. And we're going to talk about that after our final word from a sponsor. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. I'm joined by our guests, Gadir Hassan, Nancy Brookwood, and Chloe Taylor. We were talking about leadership development, talent management. Now I want to really focus our last segment here on the future and where we're going, uh, how your organizations are thinking about this, uh, how you're thinking about your, your employee experience and their ongoing development. And uh, Kadir, uh, let's let's bring this back to you. Uh, how are you and Lockheed Martin thinking about this? So how are we thinking about this? So we have a lot, a lot of different value propositions. So the pandemic uh, forced a change in how we work almost overnight. And what we've learned is this new way of working could actually be the blueprint for long term. So remote remote work specifically. For global mobility, we find ourselves in a mid-COVID scenario, right? A lot of our movement of our employees 
depends on entering countries. And so we'll continue to closely follow and monitor uh, immigration paths. But in the end, I think what we're going to really begin seeing is the new balance between in-person and remote. So pre-COVID, we would travel to work in person. And there were a lot of advantages as well as some disadvantages to that. And I think what our new normal is going to start looking like um, is business travel will resume, uh, most likely with a decreased duration uh, and frequency. Um, the choice to work remotely will be commonly accepted. I also feel that strategies will shift to support a more collaborative cultural culture virtually. Um, we'll also start to see uh, different technologies in the development of new remote uh, presence technology. And then most importantly, we'll begin seeing the new policies uh, for supporting our employees. So from my end, um, we are taking a look at our policies for our expatriates. So I think what you'll find is uh, policies across an enterprise. So I think what we've learned is during this pandemic, um, not only Lockheed Martin's approach, but the approach of many companies has been employee first. And companies took fast action to protect their employees' health and safety. They established essential uh, services around the globe and uh, deployed workforce strategies to support their employees in real time. And I think what you'll find is a lot of that work will now be adopted into uh, different and new policies uh, for companies. Thank you so much. And the thing that really jumped out to me is this notion of a new balance and then everything that follows that, that, that comes with it, the, the culture piece, collaboration, uh, kind of telework or, or, or mobility first, um, and then policy. Uh, I think that's uh, probably different uh, maybe that ha than how the government is treating that, where government often has to look at policy first and then address these areas. And Chloe, I'm kind of curious about, about your reaction to that. Is that. Is that true? Or are you also kind of leading with this new balance and adopting the policies as necessary? Well, I um, thanks, Jason. I, I'm not, I would not say that we're going directly down that path, but I will tell you that we are, the mindset is definitely shifting. Uh, but as you just mentioned, we're normally policy first, then we go to the execution. Um, so it's definitely going to be a new uh, thing for DHS as well. And we're moving into that same mode. But as I mentioned, um, during our first, first or second segment, um, DHS, we have been in a, in a mode of teleworking for a very long time and mobility um, being agile because of the way that our agency is set up. Uh, we, we have a lots of folks on the border. We have folks that are in the office. We have folks that can't telework. We're such a great mixed uh, bag. Uh, we have to be uh, really flexible when it comes down to that. But I will tell you, we have definitely shifted our mindset from a training perspective in the way that we present training and make training available to our employees. Nancy, I'm curious what, what you're seeing on this front. Uh, again, you know, we talked about this earlier, the, the focus on employee development uh, as, as a key to unlocking this mindset. And it's the, a theme that, that each of you have touched on. Well, very similar to both Gadir and Klo, you know, it's this whole idea, I like, I like the words new balance, because I think we're certainly seeing that as well with telecommuting and, and coming back into the workforce. You know, the other two sort of trends that we're really paying attention to, of course, is this duty of care for employees, supersizing the wellness program. You know, I'm hoping that HR professionals now have their business case for wellness programs and wellness funding established as a result of the pandemic, because there certainly has been much more focus on employee well-being and stress, anxiety, burnout have all been such prevalent themes that hopefully, you know, everyone can really ensure they've got the right funding in place to support employees. And part of, of wellness is also resiliency training. You know, we talk about individual resilience and organizational resilience, but you can only have organizational resilience if you have individual resilience. So you've got to really help support and enable that in your employees. And, and that should be a key part of your wellness program.
The other trend um, that we're certainly seeing and paying attention to is all about performance management. You know, that's been something percolating, I think, for years for HR professionals behind the scenes pre-COVID. And um, I think this pandemic has taught us that, you know, we all of a sudden had to change gears, change goals, change priorities. And our performance appraisal programs are just lagging way behind. So looking at that, speeding up, you know, moving to much more frequent touch points and feedback, and ensuring that it stays, you know, lockstep with employees and businesses, and then also providing that necessary training for our people managers, you know, how do they coach? How do they provide feedback real time? And it sounds straightforward, but it certainly is a skill. So enabling the the people managers and also enabling the program to make it much less rigid and more flexible for the times. Jason, do you mind if I just jump back in really quickly? When Nancy mentioned when, as she was talking, I just wanted to make sure as well, I, I brought up the fact that DHS is really focusing in on mindfulness as well. I think uh, we may have touched on this a bit um, on the other segments, but I um, wanted to say that DHS is really digging in and, and peeling back the onion on understanding mindfulness and really having um, a lot of our training to relook the way the curriculums are built to make sure that we can have mindfulness as part of it, because we truly believe that the whole life balance of an employee is we have to think about that, how important it is to have that work-life balance, how important it is to really understand who you are, why you're doing, what is your why, why you're doing what you're doing, and have that um, mindfulness as part of our everyday training uh, curriculum within and throughout DHS at large. I just wanted to make sure I brought that in. Yeah, thanks, Chloe, for mentioning that. And I know I've heard uh, your Chief Human Capital Officer, Angie Bailey, in, in events talk about uh, this as well, you know, uh, encouraging and providing time for executives to do yoga and things like that, talking about that and sending those signals in the organizations that uh, your mental health, your resilience as individual leaders is critical to, to being able to, to stay in the, the long marathon, uh, uh, especially for, for an organization like yours. Uh, Kadir, uh, kind of curious about how, how if, you know, how's this conversation resonating with things you're looking at at Lockheed Martin? Right. So it uh, loud and clear. So very similar. Um, still employee first, making sure that our employees continue to have uh, what we had considered essential services, including uh, those resources to help our employees adapt to working from home, many who are parents and are now finding themselves running school cafeterias and uh, supporting a virtual learning environment. So mental health is uh, at, the, at the top of our list and making sure that our employees can continue to be successful. And, and that, um, you know, it opens a question for me. The, the issue of performance management was brought up, I think, by Nancy. And you know, everyone has a lot going on. I'm a parent of two young ch children myself, so I've li lived this with, with many others. You know, how are organizations making accommodations, flexibilities, considerations for folks just with everything's been going on in that performance context? Uh, you know, Chloe, I think this ties into the, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that's out in the field right now as well, getting a sense of employee sentiment. Uh, how are we balancing kind of those needs to have legitimate performance systems so that our organizations are, are delivering, but to, uh, to make sure we're taking care of our people in the process and not burning them out. Um, Jason, so what I believe that, we're, what I know that we're doing at DHS is you mentioned the FEBS, which is something that's really a big part of DHS. And um, I think it's in, what's important to us is to allow our employees to be heard. And so we use tools like uh, the FEBS and we also use um, we use uh, pulse surveys as well to kind of hear from the employees and, and hopefully so we can start tracking and delivering on things that our employees are, are wanting to see more of or just to be heard. Uh, we recently launched a pulse survey and just to kind of understand how folks are coping uh, with COVID and uh, the change of, uh, in the world today. And I got to tell you, we ended up with over 40,000 responses uh, from within DHS. Uh, that was huge for us, and but it was a it was a lot of things that we got to have our, our eyes open um, in, and also the the employees got an opportunity to really kind of be able to talk and tell what's really going on 
um, from, from home to work. So it was a really uh, great way to kind of hear from the employees. Uh, performance management, I think you mentioned that as, as well, is also something that we uh, are big proponents of as well, because uh, again, you want to always sort of make sure that performance management is a part of, every, of what you do, because that's also an opportunity to make sure that employees are heard and they're rewarded uh, for doing a great job at, at whatever job they're doing. So we're also a big proponent of that. And we actually use um, we use online systems for that, which is a great tool. That way um, we can always be able to track and, and be able to understand exactly what, what's coming out on the other side. Thanks, Chloe. And I'm, I'm curious about that, that, that last piece, kind of the connection between the, the sentiment, the employee experience, and other data sources. Uh, Nancy or Gadir, kind of how are your organizations using data? We have so much human capital and personnel data, often in different systems. How are you leveraging that for, for, to drive these initiatives, these conversations that we've covered uh, today? Yeah, I'm happy to share that from a performance management perspective, and you know, our team reports right into a global human resources um, operation. And I think what's making us successful on our end is first fully acknowledging the vastly different and the various circumstances that we find ourselves in, right, with COVID. Um, I think the way our approach uh, has been to show more flexibility, uh, more empathy, uh, and, you know, more listening to our employees um, about how things are going for them because they're not the same. And it's an interesting question when you talk about gathering data, because when most of the teams have been remote, you really don't have as much data as you usually do because you're not seeing your employees in person. Um, so a lot of it has been focused on uh, progress on projects, feedback from stakeholders. So we're really taking a look at all the other types of data um, to be able to provide a fair assessment uh, and performance review um, of our employees. Thanks, Gadir. I think that's a, a real challenge area, especially in government when it's so qualitative. Uh, Nancy, uh, you want to give us a, a quick word before we wrap out, uh, 30 seconds or so? Sure. I, I think the, the other piece to this is certainly um, the progress that many companies have made since the beginning of the pandemic with their internal communication strategies and how they are communicating more real-time, less formal, much more frequent with employees, providing you know that in information and updates and inspiration. And along with that, I think a lot more companies are leveraging pulse survey tools, sentiment analysis tools to get a pulse of the workforce. So I think those two things, you know, we're certainly, you know, embracing that as well. And I think that will continue on into the new normal. We need to understand, you know, the sentiment of our workforce so that we can in turn continue to adapt and change and mold the employee experience. So hopefully those trends will continue for, for a while. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, Nancy Brickwood, Senior Vice President for Global Human Resources at BGRS. So have appreciated having you, Kadir Hassan, the Head of Global Mobility at Lockheed Martin Corporation, and Chloe Taylor, Executive Director of the Strategic Learning Development Engagement Office, the Chief Learning and Engagement Officer at DHS. Here on Fed Talk today. Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a great day.